Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Continuing our series called Thrift Store, and uh, we began last week, and we are using uh, an end table as a metaphor for our lives. Pardon me for one second. And... What we're doing throughout this series is walking step by step through what this looks like for us to be restored. Because I think all of us have felt a little bit at times like we've been abandoned or we've been forgotten about or maybe we're not fulfilling our purpose. Um, and, and that's what this is really all about. is about us saying, hey, I feel like I've been forgotten and God coming along and saying, I haven't forgotten you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to put you in the right place that you need to be to fulfill the purpose and plan that I've got for your life. Um, and so last week we started the process and I had an old end table that I had purchased for $7 from the Salvation Army. Uh, and, uh, and so Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, this Tuesday at 7 o'clock, live from Mel's basement, we started stripping this end table down, just answered some questions and talked a little bit about the message from last weekend. And so we'll be doing the same thing this weekend, or this Tuesday at 7. We'll be talking a little bit about the message from this weekend, and what, what it means for our lives, application for our lives. And so uh, just walking through that a little bit. I'd love for you to join us. It's on the Summit Facebook page. Um, but today we're going to talk, last week we talked about the stripping process. What does it mean to be stripped? Because sometimes God strips us. Sometimes the enemy strips us. But at the end of the day, his purpose through both of those is to be redemptive and to restore us. Uh, that is what he always does when we're stripped. Uh, his purpose for stripping is always to pr- present us later as the finished product that he wants us to be. So We talked about that last week, that that stripping is the taking away of that outer layer, the protective layer. And this week we're going to talk a little bit about being sanded. Um, And when when we sand something, we take a piece of sandpaper and we will rub it, right? We'll rub it on a piece of wood to to smooth it out. And we know that. But but the way it works is you've got these grains of sand on this paper and the abrasiveness causes things to smooth out. Uh, how many of you have people in your life that are a little bit abrasive at times? Anybody? Wow, there's way more than I expected. Okay, you guys are just being honest today. That's good. Um, we all do, right? We all have people in our lives that we go, God, why did you put this person in my life? They just, they, they rub me the wrong way, right? And maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a family member, uh, whatever the case is. We have people in our lives that do this. And sometimes we don't look at that as a gift, but what we have to understand is in God's economy, people who will irritate us sometimes are a gift. Because what they do is they bring some friction to our lives, and and what God may be doing through this person is smoothing us out, taking away the rough edges. Um, This table top, this was an old table, and I replaced the top, and I, I stained it and, you know, sanded it down. After I applied the stain to it, um, I applied so much stain, it caused the grains to raise up in it. So it stood out more than it normally would. And I didn't sand it as much as I should have probably, so it's still pretty rough around the edges. So if I brought a piece of sandpaper and I began sanding the edges down, what you would see is little dust particles falling to the ground, right, in the light. You'd see that. And what you would see is that I'm actually removing a layer of material from this table. I'm actually taking wood away from this tabletop to help it be smoothed out, to help it be what we would need it to be. Um, And and so what we have to understand with the sanding process is sometimes we're literally taking away layers of you to help you become who God wants you to become so he can ultimately use you for the purposes that he has 
for you. Um, when I'm thinking about this process, one of the words that I think about that is such a church word, but I think is applicable for us today, and I've talked about this a little in the past, is the word sanctify. And we've talked about sanctification. It's a process by which we become more like Christ. It's the process by which God is moving us from who we were to who he wants us to be. And this is not an easy process, um, but we submit ourselves to that, and then God does this work. The word sanctify in the Latin, it's sanctificare, and it means to make holy. That's what God is trying to do in our lives. When he sanctifies us, he is making us holy. Uh, there's a, a definition of sanctification from Baker's Dictionary of Bible Theology, and it says that the definition of sanctification is the state of proper functioning. And I love this, because what it's saying is sanctification is about helping us become who God originally planned for us to become, to, proper function, uh, to function properly in our giftings, in our callings, in our destiny, um, that's what God's purpose is for sanctification. That's what God's purpose is for, for us in the sanding process. So if I can say it this way, to sanctify someone or something is to set that person or thing apart for the use intended by its designer. Um, I am not a master craftsman. I, I, I can Google stuff and I can figure out how to do a little bit of word working that's it. Uh, I know how to watch YouTube videos, okay? So I'm not a master craftsman. But imagine there's a master craftsman who spends weeks constructing a rocking chair. And it is a beautiful rocking chair. He has spent hours just pouring himself into it. There's intricate inlays and detail. And there's all of this to this chair that, that are way beyond just a functional chair. It is a beautiful piece of furniture, but it is functional as well. Its purpose is to provide rest and maybe a little peace for someone to be able to sit down and relax. And so this master craftsman spends all this time constructing this chair. When he's finally done, he, he sets it out to do its purpose. He gives it away. And weeks, maybe years later, he's traveling. And he stops in the, in the woods and he sees an old chair leaned up on a shed. And he notices, that chair looks a little like the chair I built years ago. And he investigates it a little further and discovers, sure enough, it is his chair. But now it's leaned against the shed. And it's weathered and beaten by just the demands of life. It's been nicked. It's been gouged. And now it's been in the weather for no telling how long. It's discolored. And it's got a layer all over it of stuff because it's just been exposed to the elements. And the only thing it's doing now is providing shelter for raccoons. Now, the master craftsman could look at that and go, well, it's beyond help. I, I can't do anything about that. But, but I believe what he would do is he would take that, and he wouldn't steal it. I'm sure he would make arrangements with the owner. But he would take that. So I'm not advocating you steal stuff from people's shed, okay? <laughs> he would take it back to his shop, and he would maybe apply a coat of stripper to it, and he would strip it down to get rid of that layers, uh, the excess junk that's on there. And then he would take some sandpaper and begin applying friction, applying pressure to this chair and begin taking out the imperfections, taking out the gouges, taking out the things that, that made it what it wasn't intended to be. And then when he's finished with that, he's going to put it back in its proper place. He's going to put it somewhere so someone can find rest and relaxation in that chair. Because at the end of the day, many of us kind of feel like this chair. We're not useless. We're providing 
covering for a raccoon, right? We're doing something, but at the end of the day, we're not doing what the master craftsman intended for us to do. We're not fulfilling our purpose. We're not fulfilling our destiny because somewhere along the line, we've settled because somewhere along the line, we've been disappointed, we've been hurt, and as a result, many of us might feel a little bit like a rocking chair leaned up against the, the shed. We feel like we've been battered and worn and what use am I now? But I'm telling you today, I believe the master craftsman is walking through the room and he's going, ah, oh, I'm gonna rescue you. Oh, I'm not done with you. Oh, I'm, I've still got something left for you. But we've gotta be willing to submit ourselves to this process. And that's what sanctification is about. Uh, it's interesting, Martin Luther said this. He said, to progress is always to begin and always to begin again. See, to grow in our faith in Christ, it, it, there's, it's not linear, it's not you just take steps one, two, three, and four, and then you're a perfect Christian. I, I wish it was like that, right? But it meanders, and there's ups and downs, and there's difficulties and challenges. There, there's fast progressions, and then there's times that we totally stop. And so what Martin Luther says, it's true about woodworking, and it's true about our growth in Christ. To progress is always to begin, and always to begin again. It's not about us being perfect, it's about us being made perfect the process of being made perfect in Christ. And that's what we're talking about today. That's what we're looking at today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, in the New American Standard Version, it says, but by his doing, so it's talking about God, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church is, um, it is not your responsibility to sanctify yourself. In fact, you cannot do it. This is where religion comes in, because religion says, if you just show up enough, if you just work hard enough, then Jesus will love you more. If you just do this stuff, then you'll be acceptable. Then you'll grow. And this is what I would say. We don't cause ourselves to grow in Christ. We cannot do it. We don't have the power to do it. What we do is we put ourselves in position for the master craftsman to come and do the work in us that he wants to do. Uh, what, do we, what do we see here? In Christ Jesus, he became wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. We don't do that on our own. He does that. So what we do is we position ourselves so that God can do the work in us that he wants to do. Uh, there's three types of sanctification that I want to mention to you today. Um, and this is, really, this message is more theological than I typically will get, but I want you to understand some context. So this is why we're walking through this. Three types of sanctification. The first is positional sanctification. And positional sanctification is what sometimes in, in theology we call justification. And so what it means is that God granted us justification. He, he forgave us. He, he made us sanctified once and for all. It's a positional holiness in Christ through the sacrifice of Jesus. So because of what Jesus did, that is a once and for all purchase of our sin, he covers us, that we are sanctified in that moment. So God looks at us and says they are holy because of the work Jesus did on the cross. Now, if we're gonna be honest, um, the, the next step we'll look at is progressive sanctification, and we'll talk about this here. Um, just because I'm saved does not mean I'm like Jesus. Okay, if... if <laughs> I've had a couple times my daughters have come home from school and then maybe they've been picked on. I didn't feel very much like Jesus right then, right? I certainly wasn't going to respond to those girls like Jesus was going to respond. <laughs> if you've ever had a teenage daughter picked on by other teenage girls, you know you've never wanted to hit a teenage girl so bad in your life, right? <laughs> Can I say that? Can we edit that out of? Anyway. 
So I'm saved, but I'm not acting very holy. Does that make sense? I had a, a guy in our, in our earlier worship experience today. He said, uh, I said, hey, how was your trip? He said, it was really good. He said, you know what? I almost got run off the road. He said, this guy came by on the highway, and, and literally I got run off the road, and I thought, I'm okay. And he said, I wanted to be, I wanted to road rage on this guy. I wanted to chase him down. And he said, you know what kept me from doing it? And I thought it was going to be some really holy spiritual answer. I said, no, what was it? And he said, uh, I have a summit sticker on my car, and I didn't want to get the church in trouble. <laughs> so if, if, you want, if you want to be sanctified in your life, maybe a summit sticker will help. So I don't know. But positional sanctification says that, that even though I'm not fully holy, God looks at me as holy because of the work that Christ did on the cross. In Hebrews 10.10, 10, it says, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So because of what Jesus did, we're sanctified, but that's positional sanctification. So understand this, positional sanctification, it separates the believer from the penalty of sin. So because of the work Jesus did on the cross, I don't have to give up my life. I don't have to lose my life for my sin because the positional sanctification, I'm holy because I've accepted the free work that Christ did on the cross for me. So I, I don't have to pay the penalty for my sin by dying and I don't have to go to hell. Those are both good things, by the way, okay? So because of what Christ did, once and for all, I'm separated from the penalty of sin. The second kind of sanctification is progressive sanctification. And, and this is the effect that obedience to the word of God has on my life. So when I read the word of God and I'm obedient to the word of God, there's a, this progressive sanctification that happens in my life that I become more and more uh, shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. Um, and this is, sometimes it's a slow process. It doesn't happen as quickly as we would like, but this is what happens in us. So understand, in us, God guides us to maturity and a progressive holiness. Again, we're not holy immediately, this is a progressive thing over time. What's really cool is that in our church, there are a lot of new believers or people that have returned to their faith. And one of the things I love hearing from them is stories like this when they'll say, hey, um, you know, I, I, I went back to a class reunion and they couldn't even believe that I go to church and they couldn't even believe that I don't drink. They couldn't even believe, right? Because what's happened? Well, they, they made a decision for Christ and all of a sudden God has shaped and shifted some things in their lives. This, this progress over time, and, and all of a sudden, they're a different person than they were before. Now, again, we don't always see that in the day-to-day, -day, but, but sometimes when we step away, others can see it. I, I've talked about this before. My grandma lived in St. Louis, Missouri, so I only saw her like once a year, but every time I would see her, she would say, oh my goodness, you're growing like a weed. I've got to put a rock on your head, and I would think, no, I'm not. I'm, 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 not, I'm barely growing, but to her, I was growing a ton, Right? But I was seeing the progress every single day. So I was measuring myself going, oh, I'm barely, I'm that much taller, I'm, I'm not making progress. And this is what happens in our spiritual life. Sometimes we're growing more than we realize we're growing. And then when we see somebody from our past, they're shocked, right? They can't believe that you're a Christian. And this is what happens. This is progressive sanctification. 2 Peter 3.18 says, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not that we say a prayer and we arrive and everything's perfect in our lives. What happens is we say a prayer and we begin the journey. In God's eyes, we are sanctified, but we begin this progressive sanctification where we say, God, I want to grow in you. I want to know you more intimately and more deeply. And as I grow in you and know you more intimately and deeply, it causes me to want to know you more intimately and deeply. Does that make sense? 
And as a result, we grow in our faith. We're stretched. And what happens is those irritants in our life come along, and as we grow and mature in our faith, they don't bother us as much because we see the purpose in the irritation. Um, So we saw that positional sanctification separates believers from the penalty of sin. Progressive sanctification separates believers from the power of sin. So as we grow in our faith, as we grow closer to Christ, as we fall more deeply in love with him, what happens is not that we stop sinning, like we white knuckle it and you go, I got to stop. But what happens is uh, our heart drifts away from sin because we just don't desire that anymore. That's not who we are. God changes our nature because our nature is more aligned with his nature. Our values are more aligned with his values. Um, The things that he loves are the things we begin to love and care about because we spend time with him. We're growing in our relationship with God. And the third kind of sanctification is complete sanctification. This is ultimate sanctification. This is when we get to heaven, we'll be in a glorified body. And I want to know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Mel, you've already got a glorified body. I know, look at this thing, right? Man, I can't even imagine how good I'm going to look in heaven. Fantastic, right? I don't even need the beard to cover up this stuff. It'll just I'll look great. So complete sanctification is what God does in heaven. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what we're talking about is this ultimate sanctification that happens this complete sanctification that happens in the presence of Christ. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So when Christ returns, when he receives his bride, and we're taken to heaven, at that point, uh, we will be sanctified. We will be made holy before him. Um, we won't have to worry about the little nagging things in our lives because what we see is complete sanctification separates the believer from the presence of sin. So when we get to heaven, there is no more sin. Thank God. There will be no more crying, suffering, pain, nothing like that. We will be made holy in his presence. Um, and, and this is a complete and final work that he does. So we see these three works, these three sanctifying works that happens in our lives. And what I want to take a few minutes to talk about today is that progressive sanctification. So as we continue through this conversation over the next few minutes, understand if I say sanctification, I'm talking about progressive sanctification. So um, I really believe the two most sanctifying things in most people's lives are are marriage and children. (laughs) Because I know before I got married, I thought, man, I'm such a good Christian. I love Jesus. I don't even think I'm selfish. I am one of the most selfless people I know, and I'm pretty humble, too. And so uh, (laughs) then you get married, and you're like, I know this is going to be perfect. And you get married, and you're like, oh, wait a second. You don't like things exactly the way I like them. But I'm used to having things the way I like them, right? You get married, and... um, and as a man, I think, oh, yeah, I've got stuff, and she's got stuff, and we'll work this out. And then you get married, and it's like, oh, she's got stuff, and I don't have stuff anymore. <laughs> that's why men are moving to their basements, right? They're, that's all they got. They got a garage, and that's all. And the women's got the house. And so what happens is there's this conflict, and conflict's not a bad thing. Unresolved conflict is a bad thing. So there's conflict that happens. There's this rubbing, this friction that happens. And for us, we can go, oh, this isn't good. This isn't how marriage is supposed to be. Or we can go, maybe God's trying to work something in me through this. Does that make sense? So you get married. You're married, and you're married a few years, and things are getting better. 
and you're figuring things out, and you think, okay, now we're good Christians. We're selfless. We love each other, exactly like it says in Ephesians chapter 5, that she submits to me, and I love her sacrificially. It's perfect. Pastor Mel will be so happy with this. And then you have a baby, and you realize how selfish you are because um, you're the one acting like you're asleep, hoping your spouse will get up in the middle of the night. You don't want to move because then they'll know you're awake. That's when you know how selfish you are, right? You find yourself getting a little frustrated with your infant. Like, why are you waking up in the middle of the night? Oh, because they're four weeks old, right? We've all experienced this. And what this is is that friction, it's that tension, it's that that rubbing in our lives that helps take away the rough edges if we submit it to God. Um, what we see in, in John chapter 17 is where I'm going to spend a couple minutes here. Uh, John chapter 17 is such an incredible prayer. It's Jesus' priestly high prayer, and, uh, and he prays for himself, he prays for believers, and he prays for future believers as well. And I love this because I really wish pastors and churches would read this and apply this to the way we minister and the way we do ministry and the way we pray for unbelievers and the way we pray for other churches um, because it's so powerful and it's Jesus' own words. It's Jesus praying for us. Um, but I want to take a few minutes and just walk through this. In John chapter 17, verse 14 is where I'll start. He says, Jesus is praying here. He says, I have given them your word, talking to God, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask them, I, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So what we see here is before salvation, we were separated from God, okay? So we were with the world, if I can say it that way, and we were separated from God. But what Jesus has done is reconciled us to himself. He's brought us near himself. And so just thinking about it spatially, if we're with the world and now we're with God, we should not be with the world anymore, right? And so... There should be a separation. We were separated from God, now we're separated from the world. And what I'm not saying, I want you to hear this, I'm not saying we're all selling our stuff and we're buying a piece of land out in the boonies and we're going to put a big fence up and we're going to all dress in togas and that's not what I'm saying, okay? I'm not advocating we start a cult. Uh, what I am saying, though, is this passage of Scripture makes it clear that we have to understand that our, that our citizenship is not on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. So if we have a loyalty, it needs to be to heaven and not to earth. And so this doesn't mean we separate ourselves. It doesn't mean we say, well, I can't be around you because you're a sinner. What it means is we don't, let, we don't let the world influence us. We influence the world. So when I first moved here to, to Indiana, we bought a house right, I mean, literally across the alley from student housing. And we had people say, you're crazy. Why would you do that? And we said, no, it's going to be fine. In the first 90 days we lived there, we had not one, not two, but three people urinate in my yard that I caught. No telling how many that I didn't catch, by the way, uh, but it was just like the public urinal for my, you know, the neighborhood, I guess. I don't know. So I was so frustrated, but this is the thing. You don't ever hear a missionary to Egypt when we bring ministry partners in. We're talking to somebody maybe to Egypt, and we go, hey, tell us about it. And they're like, you know what? We love it except all the Muslims. It's terrible, right? Why? Because they understand the purpose by which they're sent, being sent. They go, we're not there in spite of the Muslims, we're there because of the Muslims. And for us, when we came here, um, we said, hey, we don't want to find some place to avoid IUP. We want to influence IUP. So maybe we're going to get our yard peed in a few times. 
But it's worth it to do what God's asking us to do. We're not here to avoid lost people. We're here to influence lost people. In fact, Jesus loved lost people. He only got frustrated with, with religious people, right? He embraced lost people. He loved lost people. But he never let them dictate his purpose and plan. And so what we have to do is understand that, that God is sanctifying us. He's growing us. He's not asking us to, to be separate in a literal sense, but be separate in a spiritual sense where we say, hey, I'm not going to be influenced by you, but I'm going to love you to repentance. And that's what he wants us to do. So we have to understand that, that sometimes we say we're in the world, but we're not of the world, and that's a cop-out just to avoid engagement with our culture. And I'm telling you today, God wants us to engage our culture. He wants us to engage lost people because he loves lost people. In fact, every person in this room was a lost person at some point. So if we abandon God's mission to reach lost people, then we're abandoning God's purpose for us on planet Earth. So it's not about being separate, but it's about us saying, I'm not going to let the world influence the purpose that God has for my life. The next passage in John 17, 17 says, Jesus says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So what God, Jesus is saying is, God, I want you to sanctify them in the word of God. So let the word of God get in them. And this is what we have to understand. Um, sanctification doesn't happen because we know the word. Sanctification happens because we apply the word. So if we don't apply what we know, it doesn't make any difference. So if we have conflict with a brother or sister and we don't resolve it biblically, then we're not growing in that. So if, if, if somebody gossips about us and we hear about it and, and all we do is gossip about them, then we're not applying biblical principles. But what does it say in Matthew 18? If you had a problem with a brother, you go to the brother and you make it right. And if you can't make it right, you bring a friend. And if that doesn't work, you bring another friend. If that doesn't work, then you bring the church. Right? That escalated quickly, right? And if that still doesn't work, it says you trash them on Facebook. No. No, it says you treat them as a tax collector and unbeliever. And that doesn't mean you trash them. What it means is you love them to repentance because that's what Jesus did. He had a tax collector in his disciples, right? So we love them to repentance. And this is what Jesus wants us to do is, is apply biblical concepts. So if all we do is we just backbite and gossip and, and we're great to their face, oh, hey, how are you today? Oh, so good to see you. And they walk away. Can you believe she would act like that with me? You know the word but you're not applying it. I have a membership to the Y. It is deducted from my bank account every month. My cardiologist doesn't care. <laughs> because I'm not applying what I know. My cardiologist doesn't care that I'm paying every month. What he cares about is, are you getting on a treadmill? Right? Because paying for it every month is not going to save me. It's not going to keep me from having a heart attack. Right? I mean, we're just getting real here, right? And it's even harder because the meadow's just opened again. <sighs> so it does not matter how much you know of the Bible. If you don't apply it, you're not growing. So apply the word of God to your life. And God will stretch you and grow you. Verse 18 says, and Jesus is still praying. He says, as you sent me, into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So Jesus is saying, in the same manner that I was sent, I'm sending them. And this, this is a whole message series on itself, like this one verse. But Jesus is saying, in the same manner I was sent, I'm sending you. The word sent here, in the, in the Greek, it's um, apostello. Does that sound like a word familiar to you? Apostle. 
This is where we get the word apostle. It means one who is sent. If you look a little deeper at the, the definition, it, it, another way it can be interpreted is um, to send one that he may be in a state of liberty. And I'm telling you today, when we discover our purpose and plan, when we realize we were never intended to be a rocking chair leaned up against a shed, but God intended us to be used for a better purpose and bigger purpose than that, when we discover that and we find our place and we are sent in that, we come alive in that. And that's where freedom happens. Because it's not about saying, well, I guess I got to do this now because God wants me to. But it's about saying, God, I'm so glad that you created me and designed me to do this function. And we come alive in that. When we discover that, when we're sanctified and set apart and sent for that, and this is what you have to understand, we're sanctified um, not just to make us holy, but to send us. So we're sanctified to be sent. If you're being sanctified, if you're in the process of the sanding, God's got a bigger purpose for you. And it's not just to sit back and get fat and happy in the church and just be like, oh, I'm so holy now because I come to church all the time. No. If you're being sanctified, God's sanctifying you for a purpose. If you're being sanded, he's got something more in store for you than just to sand you down and leave you. He's got something in mind for you. He has an original design and purpose that he has got in store for you if you'll just trust him. In Joshua 3, 5, Joshua is leading the nation of Israel into the promised land. And he says this, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And this word consecrate and the word sanctify are closely related. There's a lot of overlap in the meanings. Um, but what he's saying is get your hearts ready because God's about to do something. And I'm telling you today, in this room, I, I feel like I can say to you, get your hearts ready because God's about to do something. Get your hearts ready because he's not through with you yet. Get your hearts ready because he wants to move in and through you like never before. Get your hearts ready. Jesus uses the same word for consecrate in John 17, 19. He says, for their sake, I consecrate myself and they, uh, that they may also be sanctified in truth. So he says, I'm consecrating myself. I'm being sanctified so that they could be sanctified. So I'm, I'm, I'm being sent, but I'm sending them now. I'm being sanctified, now I'm sanctifying them. So what we have to understand is as we pursue God, we're pursuing sanctification. So if we really wanna be sanctified, then what we do is we pursue God with our whole heart. Because this is not a linear process, okay? This is us saying, God, I just want to know you. Relationships are not linear. There's not steps one, two, and three. Um, there's different approaches, and everybody's wired differently. And I'm telling you today, as we approach God, it's the same way. It's us getting to know him, us figuring out his heart and his desire, and us coming into alignment with that. And when we do that, that begins the work of sanctification in our lives. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as, you who, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So, so <laughs> what we see here is not a call by God to an impossible standard. But what he's saying is if you want to achieve holiness, it's not about just trying harder, because I've done that before in my religious walk, right? Like, I just tried harder. Well, I've got bad thoughts, so I've just got to try harder. No, that's not the answer. The answer is that we press more deeply into the Lord. As I fall more passionately in love with Jesus Christ, everything else falls away. So what this passage is telling us is if you want to pursue holiness, pursue God. Because when you, when you pursue God, that stuff just falls away from you. W. E. and Thomas said this, to be in Christ, that is redemption. But for Christ to be in you, that is sanctification. 
So it's not enough for us to say, I want to I come to church. I want to go through the religious actions. It's about saying, God, I want you to come alive inside of me. I, I, want, I want me to disappear, and I want you to come alive in me. That's what sanctification is really all about. Philippians chapter 3. If you've been around church, you've heard this passage before. But in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, not that I have already obtained this, and Paul's talking about um, the relationship with God and perfection in God and all these kind of things uh, immediately preceding this. And he said, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So what he's saying here is, um, I am not perfect. He says, even though I started this church, even though I'm an apostle, even though I've been sent, I'm not perfect. I have not become who God wants me to be. And when he uses the word perfect here, it actually means mature. And so what he's saying is, I'm not fully mature. But, but I know what God has called me to. I see the finish line in this race, and the finish line is maturity in God and fulfillment of my calling. And part of my calling is to be mature in Christ, is to be sanctified, is to let God do his purpose in me by rubbing the rough edges off, as painful as it is. Because then I can fulfill the purpose that God has for me, and I can do what God has called me to do. See, I, I can imagine <laughs> that old chair leaned up in the woods, against the shed, and the heartbreak that the master builder must have when he sees it, and the excitement that he must feel whenever he gets it stripped and sanded down, and he sees that wood come, alive, come to life again, and he knows that it can be restored to the purpose that he originally planned, and I'm telling you today that's the case. This is not an easy process, though. This is a process that takes time. That's what progressive sanctification is all about. There's a quote by a woman named Elizabeth Elliot. Her husband was a missionary who was killed, and she took his place. An incredible story. And she wrote in the book, uh, Shadow of the Almighty, she said this, One does not surrender a life in an instant. That which, is a life, uh, that which is lifelong can only be surrendered in a lifetime. Nor is surrender to the will of God adequate to fullness of power in Christ. Maturity is the accomplishment of years, and I can only surrender to the will of God as I know what the will is. So I love this because what she says is, uh, surrender doesn't happen in a moment, it happens over a lifetime. Every single day, I surrender again. Every single day, I go, God, I'm continuing to submit myself to this sanctification process that is grueling, and it's difficult, and it's challenging, but I'm going to continue to put myself in the right position for you to do the work in me that you want to do, because it's not me doing the work, it's you doing the work. So God, I trust you, and I'm going to let you do this work in me. And God, I, I want to know your will. The only way I can do your will is if I know your will. And the only way I can know your will is if I know you. So God, I'm going to press into you. I'm going to know you intimately. I'm going to allow you to do the work in me that you want to do. Because there's something bigger than me you want to do. So I trust you. And that's my challenge to you today. Maybe you're here and you're not walking with Jesus. That's okay. I want to give you an opportunity. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I want to give you an opportunity to make a decision for Christ today. Maybe you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm a Christian. I know I'm going to heaven, but I'm not fulfilling God's purposes for me, but I want to. Uh, I believe today is the day that the master craftsman's walking through, and he sees you, and he's going to take you back to the shop, and he's going to begin the work in you, re restart the work in you that he wants to start. He's going to help you become who he wants you to be. But it's all about us saying, I'm submitted, I'm willing. Let's pray together.
God, we love you. We're grateful that you love us. I'm grateful that today, no matter where we may be in our walk with you, you love us and you care for us. So God, I pray today, number one, for those that aren't in relationship with you, that have never made you Lord of their life, that have never surrendered their lives to you. God, I pray that today would be the day that, that they would be made new, that they would be made different for your glory. God, I pray for those that are here today that are, that are saved, they're going to heaven, but the truth is they're not fulfilling their purpose and their destinies in you. God, I pray that you would create a holy dissatisfaction in their hearts. Lord, you would, you would create in them just a, a sense of, of unease spiritually in you that they know you've got more for them. So God, I pray that you take us out of a place of complacency or comfort and help us be uncomfortable for you. God, begin the work, continue the work in our lives of sanctifying us and making us holy so that we can impact this world for your glory. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed and no one looking around, I just wanna ask if you're here and you say, Mel, you know what? Um, I'm not walking with God but I want to. I'm not, I've never made Jesus Lord of my life, but today I want to. I'm not gonna make you come forward or embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you where you're at. So if that's you, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it and you can put it right back down. Is there any that say pray for me? Yeah, over here on my left. I see you, sir. Praise God. Who else? Thank you, over here on my right. A couple of hands. Thank you, sir. I see you. Thank you, yeah. Yeah, I see you in the back on my right. Thank you, man. Praise God. Who else would join these and say pray for me, Mel? Yeah, I see you up there. Praise God. Awesome. I'd like every person in this place, whether you raise your hand or not, just to repeat this really simple prayer after me. The word of God tells us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, that God raised Christ from the dead, that we'll be saved. And so today, it begins there, that we are made whole in Christ, we're made new in Christ, but then that begins the work of sanctification in our lives. There's a process to it. But look, I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me, and thank you for paying for my sins by dying on the cross. I thank you that today you are alive and well, and you're praying for me in heaven. From this day forward, my life is yours. Use it for your glory and help me never go back to my old ways or my old life or my old thinking. But from this day forward, I am yours and you are mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give God a round of applause today, can we? Thank you, Jesus. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, uh, the Word of God tells us that you are a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. And so what we want you to do, uh, whether you raised your hand or not, we would love for you to take the next step because we want to help you grow in your faith. We want to help you uh, in that sanctification process because we want to get your resources and relationships that are going to help you grow in your faith. So if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, take the card out of the seat back in front of you. On one side it says salvation. On the other side it says need prayer. Fill out the side of the card that says salvation and drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave today. What's going to happen is we're going to reach out to you. We'll get you connected with a group that can help you. We're going to help you get connected to small groups that can help you grow in your faith and relationship. So let us know. Now we're also going to tell you about baptisms and starting point, things like that, that will really help you grow in your faith. So fill that out and let us know about it. If you're watching online or maybe you're here in the room but can't reach one of the cards, you can simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. 
And when you do that, we're going to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So if you're here in the area, we'll get you connected here at the summit. But if you're not in the area, maybe you're watching somewhere throughout the United States, we're going to help you find a, a God-fearing, Bible-believing church in your area that you can get in godly community and begin to grow in your faith as well. So again, thank you for worshiping with us today. Here's what's going to happen right now. Our worship team is going to lead us on a final song. As we sing together, our prayer team is going to make their way forward to either side of the stage. And if you need prayer today, step out from your seat while we're singing. Find one of our prayer team members. Let them agree with you in prayer. And then in just a moment, uh, Pastor Todd Stanley is going to close us out and he'll dismiss us and we'll be on our way. But guys, um, we have one more opportunity just to pursue God and press into him. And I want us to take advantage of that. So why don't you stand to your feet all over the room. We're going to worship together one more time before we go today. And guys, I tell you regularly, and I hope you know this, I love you more than you know, and I'm so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. We'll see you Wednesday night.